Welcome to our podcast, Geeks, We Are Your Fathers. We're three proud geek dads and we're here to talk all things technology, gaming, science fiction and more. In this episode, we're talking all things Marvel. We'll discuss our favourite films, interview Richard Browning, the real-life Iron Man, and debate who would win in an Avengers Royal Rumble. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Geeks, We Are Your Fathers. I'm Robbie and I've assembled once again with Dave and Pete. Hi, I'm Dave. Hi, I'm Pete. We also have a special guest geek dad with us today, our very own Captain America. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Hi, guys. So this week we are exploring the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I've got a feeling that we could probably take up more than one episode on this subject and most probably will. So what's everybody's favorite Marvel film? Matt, as the guest... You can go first. I'm privileged. Thank you for that. Uh, I, I think that's easy. Avengers Endgame. It's the penultimate of 11 years and 20 plus sets of movies. And uh, I can't get enough of it. My wife thinks I have a sickness and maybe I do. But uh, Kevin Feige and the, and the whole team there just continues to uh, make entertainment fun to watch. And uh, I find myself working for him. I, I can't I can't stop watching Avengers Endgame because it's just it's just a good movie. I think I must have watched it at least three or four times since Disney Plus finally made it over to the UK as well. And mm-hmm. it is one of those that you can just watch over and over again, hoping that the ending changes. The best <laughs> bit is though, it's, it's Fat Four, isn't it? When Thor is just there and he's eating, he's eating loads of stuff, he's drinking loads of beer, he's got this massive beer belly. I, I just absolutely love that. It's so funny. I couldn't stop laughing the first time I saw that. Uh, you know, having watched all the, the movies with Thor in it and, and then seeing that interpretation of them, it's like, where do they come up with this stuff? But every time they come up with something new, it seems to resonate with the audience. It's it's pretty cool. I think that's the beauty of Marvel, isn't it? Because they do that quite a lot, is they manage to find so many different aspects of the same character that you just wouldn't expect. Yeah. yeah, It's very well done. You know, that, that bit, actually, where in Endgame, where he is, you know, he's that born, he's in that sort of village or whatever. It, it just reminds me of... Um... We've got a robotic Pete again. <laughs> is, is, is Ultron taking over the podcast? <laughs> I think he might be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's my countryside broadband. I'll uh, I'll have to plug in straight into the router in a minute, but uh, yeah, we'll give it a whirl. See how it goes. And that was after you giving us all advice on improving our Wi-Fi last week, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dave, what about you? What's your favourite Marvel film? Um, I I'm going to go to completely to the uh, say to the other end. If we take the the films in chronological order, um. I think the Captain America film is absolutely brilliant. I'm relatively new to the whole Marvel universe. I wasn't a comic book geek when I was a young girl. I, I did loads of other geeky things, but comic books wasn't it. And so I kind of came a little bit late to the party. We watched a few of them off and on here and there. And then when, like I say, when Disney Plus came out and you were able to sit down and watch them all. And my wife and I said, Let, let's do that. Let's watch them all because they are funny. And that's that's one of the things I love about them, like you say, the humour that they managed to get into everything. But just the whole Captain America arc, I I think is fantastic, and I love that first film. So, so I think that's that's probably my favourite. Yeah, yeah, I think you bring out a good point about that. The first time I watched Captain America, the the you know the first Avenger, I didn't I, I didn't it it didn't resonate. Um, but you know, as Marvel you know, continue to make the movies. I, you know, obviously when, when Winter Soldier came out, I, I thought that was the best one, uh, even maybe even better than the, the original Avengers. Mm-hmm. But that, that whole arc of uh, Captain America and everything he went through, um, you know, sacrificing everything. And then, you know, obviously he gets he gets with Peggy at the end of Endgame. Um, 
that's made me appreciate the you know mm. the first Captain America uh, movie more and more uh, as time has gone on. So I've I've watched it and rewatched it and have seen a lot of the things that they that Marvel put in in the first movie that were Easter eggs for you know Winter Soldier and Civil War and 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 and, and a lot of the Avengers movies and uh, it, it's hard to to root against uh, your pick. And they are so good at doing that as well. There's all the yeah, foreshadowing okay. they put into every film, and you you watch them back and. Uh, as you said as well, Dave, especially now with Disney Plus, I've, I did the same. I went and watched them all back in the, the order they should have been rather than the order that they were made. And the amount of things you notice throughout it and you say, actually, yeah, that now makes much more sense than it did the first time I've seen it or even sometimes the fifth time I've seen it. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it is so good that they, they plant all of these little seeds everywhere along the line and then you don't realise what they're doing until two, three, four films later. And I've always liked that about Marvel as well in the way of, so some of the, the TV series, so I haven't kept up with all of them, if I'm honest, because there's so many, but I, I, I was really into um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when it first came out. And again, the way that it actually intertwined with the films, and it wasn't like it was just a standalone on the side, things actually crossed over. And I, I really love that, that they don't just take everything in isolation. There are a lot of crossovers with the films, and there's a lot of crossovers with the, the spin-offs as well. Um, but for me, my mm. favourite film is Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's not even for the film, it's for the soundtrack. I must listen to it at least three or four times <laughs> a week from start to finish. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've got it on soundtrack. vinyl, I've got it. <laughs> I've, I, I could geek out just over that film. And yeah, I mean, again, it was, for me, it's that that hilarious side of it. And as you said, Dave, they, they're very clever at making things funny. And so it's, they're the, the films that I really love. And that, like the new Thor Ragnarok film, that change style to be more like the sort of Guardians of the Galaxy style. And again, that was really funny. The likes of Deadpool, really funny. They're the films that I've, I really enjoy from a you-don't-have-to-think-about-them point of view. But yeah, I think Guardians Guardians of the Galaxy 1 for me is still my, my number one. Only just. It's like asking which is your favourite child. And it's, it's hard to push. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I can't, that, I can't yeah. disagree with you on that one, Robbie. It's, it is. It's... I think it was one of the first I watched. So this is, tells you how kind of late I've come to the whole thing. I think the, the Guardians was the first one that, that my wife and I sat down and watched. And and we just sat there laughing our heads off all the way through. And as you say, the soundtrack is brilliant. And and on top of that, the um, the second Guardians film, I'm an enormous Electric Light Orchestra fan, yeah. ELO. Oh. And the first song in the second film where Groot is rocking around to uh, Mr. Blue Sky. And what a scene that is! Um, just uh, we'll watch yeah. it just for that scene. Um, yeah, it's it's a tough one, like you say. It's a real tough one. To That's choose. one of the ones I have on in the background while I'm working because just for the the soundtrack as the film's going on. I don't even need to pay mm-hmm. attention to it. I just know where it's at just from the song that's coming on. My wife is not typically a, a Marvel fan, but um, you know, be, because we've been working, you know, with work from home and, and all this this COVID stuff, you know, you find yourself taking advantage of Disney Plus. And uh, I was, I've been rewatching a lot of the, the Marvel MCU movies, and I was watching um, both Guardians and Guardians uh, 2 um, on one night, and I'm cracking up laughing, and she's, you know, she's in the, li- you know, I'm in the living room, she's in the kitchen, puts around with dinner or whatever, and then she comes out, she's like, what are you laughing at? And it's, it's all these pivotal scenes from, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and then she kind of sits down, you know, by the time I start watching 2, she sits down, and... You know, she's seen the movies, um, but she's, you know, a casual interest. But she actually kind of sat down and we kind of watched it together as a couple just a, a week or two ago. 
you know, kind of rewatching it. And her and I had so much fun because of the points that you guys were making, right? The music scenes, yeah. the emotions that are behind them, you know, the, the casting, mm. um, the memories. You know, she makes you – know, my wife makes fun of me a lot because I'm such a, a geek, both professionally and, and in my choice of movies. Um, you know, when those songs that you mentioned from Guardians come on, you know, come on the radio or she's listening, you know, on, on streaming, I'm like, hey, that's from that scene from you know, from Guardians. And she's like, you're such a dork. Why, why do you associate why do you associate the song (laughs) exactly you can you can't name the song but you can name the scene from the movie that the song is in i'm gonna say yeah what's wrong with that yes uh no you see my wife is a huge marvel fan she's a bigger marvel geek than i think any of us in fact uh, we've actually got a captain america shield above our bed Oh, uh, really? She got Couple given it to it. Yes, she got given it. I don't know whether it's a, a Chris Evans thing or whether it's a Captain... She just loves Captain America, right? But when we were in Universal Studios this year, or in fact last year now, wasn't it? She and my daughters had their Captain America t-shirts on and we were walking through uh, the bit where you go into the, the Marvel area in Universal Studios and they had this kind of uh, whole uh, Avengers kind of uh, show if you like and they all ride up and down the boulevard and captain america comes on his big motorbike and he gets out and after it uh, lou and the girls had their picture taken with captain america and they're all in their captain america t-shirts and their um captain america baseball caps and there's me standing on the sideline in my back to the future t-shirt <laughs> and the captain america's looking at me he's going they still do you want a picture as well where's your captain america t-shirt and i said no i'm all right <laughs> So uh, I know my place, right? I'm not going to get involved between you, Captain America, and my wife, right? I like him, but he's, he's not my favorite Marvel. Is that because he replaced you in your family photo there, Pete? Because it's just <laughs> yes. those yes. three in him. This, this is our new dad. As, as soon as you said that the Captain America shield was on, is in your bedroom, that question was waiting to be asked. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ben. So I'm, I'm curious, and I don't know, uh, I've always been kind of curious, this, right? I mean, you, you mentioned Captain America, and and obviously, you know, one of the things that Dave and I talked about before uh, the podcast is is how are these things different from you know either side of the pond, and and obviously, you know, Captain America has been a part of American pop culture since World War II. Um, have on the other side of the pond, have people in the UK kind of accepted him as their own as well? Especially since there's a lot of rumors that there's going to be, you know, Captain Britain, whether that's in one of the TV series or in an upcoming movie or whatever. Completely. I mean, it's one of those where he's he's an American hero, but he's also a world hero, isn't he? That's that's the whole point of it. And I think every every person I know that's a fan of the Marvel films has, has adopted Captain America as one of their own completely. Especially because a lot of the films, they're clever with that. It's always kind of the human race against the alien race. Sure. So it's not just a case of it's it's representing this specific country. It's representing the whole of the human race. I was I was going to say I, I love the way they've they've also portrayed him. He's he's a straight arrow, isn't he? I mean, there's the, the a lot of the others are there's they're wisecrackers or they're they're egotists or whatever. But Captain America is a straight arrow. But at the same time, when he says something funny. It, for some reason, it just comes off that little bit better because he's such a straight arrow. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about him, and about whether, whether it's Chris Evans, whether it's whether it's the way he acted it, and and not being a, a Marvel geek, I don't know quite how Captain America was portrayed in the original comic books. So I, I don't know whether it's the way they've done it in the MCU and the way they've directed Chris or the way that he's he's acted it. But there's just something about that combination of of straight up 
straight arrow type hero and the odd sarcastic aside because he's never laugh out loud it's usually quite sarcastic but i think that's brilliant but but dave i i think you make a, a good point there about how chris evans and captain america is portrayed in the mcu is that is there's that balance between he you know he and that i think makes over his his overall arc you you kind of comment on this earlier he has this this struggle from you know the first movie doing everything because he's so focused on his his you know wanting to serve his country and serve the war and and, and all that to you know an end game he's like i want to be with peggy <laughs> you know and and that conflict really <laughs> defines his arc which is kind of cool you know it, and it humanizes him yeah. um and I, I think to me that's one of the biggest things i, I love about uh, the way the MCU has put forward uh, all these heroes, you know, whether it's on on the American side of the pond or on on the on you know on, in the UK, however it's perceived, is that they're they're all flawed, right? In so many mm. comics yeah. and, and in so many you know uh, pop culture things, heroes are always presented as being perfect, and they're not. Uh, and and I think that's what makes that's one of the key things that makes the MCU movies so appealing uh, on a global basis, you know, traveling, whether it's traveling Europe or Asia or, you know, if traveling for business over the last couple of years, you can always find someone to talk, to talk, talk about MCU. Yeah. And, and, and that's what it is, is that, that human side um, that, that they've done a really good job in presenting. And that's the same. I mean, that's why Marvel always did so well from a comic book side, because it was one of those where you were, you could read the comic and it would take you out of your reality, but it didn't take you too far out yeah. of it because you could relate to what was going on. And regardless of, of where you were in the world, you could still relate to that person and being in that situation. And you could almost say that that's, I know somebody like that, or I, I am somebody like that. And it, it could happen to anyone. And that was kind of the magic of it as a kid. And I, I think they've taken that into the films and it's, yeah, it's great to see. What about you, Pete? What's your favorite? So I think my favorite Marvel film is Captain Marvel. And it's obviously one of the newer films, but uh, and it and it's great because actually, although it's sort of it's not that true to the comic books, obviously, is it? Because Brie Larson, who plays the character Captain Marvel in the actual comic books, it it's not a lady, is it? It's a it's a guy. So it uh, certainly took that on a different path. But it, it's a great movie. Brie Larson is a fantastic actress, and they just I just love that whole movie from start to finish. There's so much going on. You've got. Uh, a whole bunch of great uh, actors in there as well. You've got Jude Law, you've got um, Annette Bening, uh, you know, it's just brilliant. So yeah, Captain Marvel, girls, my girls love it as well. It's one of their favourites. And I do remember seeing that in the cinema twice. And that's one of the few films I've seen in a long time twice at the actual cinema. So yeah, definitely one of my favourites. Really enjoyed it. Great, great action, great story. And uh, she's the ultimate superhero. I'd agree on that as well in terms of I've I've also got two daughters and while one of them is really too young to really be interested in anything Marvel at the moment, my eldest, that's the first film she has actually watched and it I think it just gives them that role model to look up to and I know you've got characters, you've got strong female characters in Marvel anyway, the likes of Black Widow, but they're peripheral characters or they have been until the obviously the Black Widow film was due out later this year um, but it, it was good to see Marvel take that risk because it, it's helped to, to introduce a whole new generation of girls into the Marvel films. I, I think his selection of, of Captain Marvel is kind of interesting because it's a it's a it's a quality movie. It's entertaining. Brie Larson is a, a phenomenal actress. But there was a lot of you know before the, the movie came out, there was a lot of I don't know if conflict's the right word, but there was definitely a lot of pushback 
from a lot of portions of the fan base with the way that that movie came out. I th- I thought it was kind of ridiculous because I, I I think it's a great movie, but yeah. you know it, it's you know when when you have these conversations with people that talk about MCU, uh, there's there's a I'd say there's a smaller portion of people that would list uh, Captain America, excuse me, Captain Marvel is one of their top movies versus some of the other choices that we've that we've mentioned already, but mm-hmm. you know. That's the great thing about the, the the whole MCU is it's so diverse and it appeals to so many different people. And that's the thing they're not afraid to do things either that are different. They they do like to push the boundaries over the years, and it's it's refreshing to see because a lot of a lot of organizations wouldn't take the risk because they know they've got a winning formula and it works every time. But it just goes from strength to strength every time. It also helps that you have a string of billion dollar hits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very true. Yeah, they could they can they can do very nearly what they want but i i read the same thing that there was a, a bit of a backlash when when brie larson was cast um uh, it's it feels i i like captain marvel as a film I, it does feel more of a standalone than some of the others it, i don't know whether that was intentional or whether that's just the way the story works it does feel much more of a, a standalone piece than than the other, main, should we say, mainstream MCU movies. Yeah, I think they were all building up towards something else, whereas her, she's still kind of at the beginning of her story, isn't she? And there's yeah. a lot more to come. So I think it'll be interesting to see in a few years' time whether it still feels like that. Yeah, and I, I, mm. think that's, I think that's the point, is... You guys hit the nail on the head, at least from my perspective. You know, Brie, Brie Larson is being set up to carry the MCU. Yeah. You know, for the next ten years. You know, she's she's young, she's she's successful, uh, she's really good at what she does, and you know, a large portion of the fan base, uh, uh, you know, really like her. Um, but you're right. It, it within the flow of the last eleven years in the, you know the Infinity Infinity Saga, she's kind of like something that got introduced in the last chapter. Um, great addition. The movie was great. You know, her I, I loved her role in uh, Endgame. Um, you know, she's very, uh, you know, she, she plays very, 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 very big parts, both in the beginning of the movie, saving Stark and Nebula, and then at the end, you know, taking down uh, Thanos' ship um, and more. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how, you know, her role within the MCU continues to expand. Yeah, and it's interesting, actually. I, I, Brie Larson is really, really versatile. I, I think I've seen her in loads of different things. Um Talk about different movies. I love Scott Pilgrim versus yes. the World, and she's in that mm-hmm. totally, totally different role. Um, that is one of my all-time favorite movies, but that that's another geeky subject. <laughs> but at the same time, you, you look at some of the other actors, and and I find it difficult to look at Robert Downey Jr. for example and think of anything but Tony Stark yeah. nowadays. Uh, whereas Brie Larson's much more, um, uh, she's much more able to do different things. Maybe that's just because she's not been in as many movies yet. I don't know, but. I feel that she's really good at what she does. She is. She's a very versatile actress. And, you know, I think her casting is just another example of how uh, the casting experts at, at, at the MCU have just nailed their, nailed the, the actors mm. in, in, in the roles. It's, you know, the actors they've chosen have, yeah. have you know, Dave, you mentioned, you say Tony Stark, you you automatically think of Robert Downey Jr. You see Captain America, oh, that's Chris Evans. Etc. 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 And um, that's a credit to the whole MCU. And they play on it really well as well because I remember seeing a few years back when Robert Downey Jr. went and was was handing out prosthetic arms to young children who who had lost limbs for various reasons, 
and he was doing it as his persona as Iron Man and he was handing them out and they were Iron Man cladded in terms of how they'd been been produced in the, the gold and red colours and he completely took on that role. As they really do care yeah. about the fans and they actually do a lot to to spread good news outside of just what's going on within the films. Geeky movie fans like us and, and who like whether it's Marvel or whether it's Star Wars, when a proper science fiction fan comes out to bat, they come out full on. I mean, just look at the cosplay um, community. People spend hours and days creating these looks. The, the Marvel Universe has done so well playing up to those guys because there's a lot of people who take them down if it wasn't right. Well, let's face it, that's Deadpool. When, the, when Deadpool was in the Wolverine origin story, it was disastrous and then they managed to make up for it with the Deadpool films in the end but if they do it wrong yeah. then yeah they, they definitely know about it that sound means it's time for our special guest interview and this week Pete has caught up with the real life Iron Man Richard Browning So hi everyone, I'm here on the phone with Richard Browning. Uh, Richard is the founder and chief test pilot of Gravity Industries here in the UK, down in Salisbury. And uh, Richard has created something amazing. You might have seen him on YouTube with his uh, various things that he's been up to. In fact, most recently he was on a podcast with uh, another friend of ours, uh, Colin Furs, who was flying a hoverboard with one of Richard's suits, which is really cool. So you should go and check that out if you get a chance. But uh, this, yeah, Richard on today, and I'm going to tell you, uh, Richard, um, when I first met Richard, he was a city trader, and uh, now he is almost the, the real-life Ironman. So, Richard, uh, welcome, and thank you for chatting today. Thanks, Pete. My pleasure. Just really wanted to talk today with you about just your journey of where you've been. So, did, I mean, did you just wake up one day and decided you wanted to build a jet suit? Yeah, that, that is that is, uh, that is is a fairly regular uh, <laughs> assumption, I have to say. Uh, yeah, no, not quite like that. It needs a little bit of explanation. Um, so, you know, in short, I spent about 16 years uh, working mostly as an oil trader in the city of London for BP. And alongside that, about six years as a Royal Marines reservist. And um, my whole family background before all that was from the world of aviation and engineering. So one grandfather used to run Westland helicopters. Uh, that was Sir Basil Blackwell. And the other one was a, a, um, a wartime and civil pilot. And my late father was an, an, an aeronautical engineer and inventor. So if you wrap all of that history together... Um, I emerged in sort of 2016, still working as an oil trader, but with a with a growing idea around uh, the combination of human capability. So for, especially from my Marines times, it taught you a lot or taught me a lot about just how far you can push your brain and your body if mm. you, you know, focus it enough. But the other area was, you know, did this consistent passion for flight. You know, I used to fly model lives with my father and I could probably describe how a helicopter worked at age about 10, I would have thought, because I was just around that world. And I sort of had this mad idea all the best ideas to you know start out mad um that wouldn't it be cool if you could just add a little bit of horsepower to the human mind and body the mind is an amazing balancing engine otherwise we'd never be able to snowboard or rollerblade and all these other things um and the human body as i you know kind of proven to myself um could be trained to be pretty strong versus your body weight um in certain ways you know if you've just put in the you know put in the effort so I, I sort of rolled all this together and thought, you know what, if you take then micro gas turbines, which are an amazingly energy dense form of propulsion, how feasible would it be 
to marry them up in concept with the human mind and body and fly in a really novel, unusual way. No, no business idea, no yeah. purpose intended or anything. It was just, I thought it'd be a cool challenge. And uh, that's what kicked me off in 2016. And you built this thing basically originally in your garage, didn't you? I mean, when I first met you, you got your, your set up there and you, you literally just got bits of metal, bashed it together, uh, mate, got some electronics done with some guys you know. It, 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 as simple as that, yeah? you just kind of lashed it up in your shed, I guess is the, uh, the, the way you got to start, yeah? Barely, barely better than you described, yes, indeed. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I grew up around my father, you know, making and breaking things and taking things apart in his workshops. You know, I, I'm... Even from a young age, I was pretty handy with little bits of aluminium riveting and screwing them together and all that sort of stuff. So I can I, I can repurpose existing available things fairly efficiently. Um, and I, I'm fairly good at then just turning an idea on a sketch pad into something that's cobbled together well enough that I can then go and test the underlying concept. So uh, I, I, you know, I got hold of one of these little jet engines, but I built this very crude little aluminium tube based arm assembly and a servo controller to control the throttle and a uh, very crude fuel tank that sat inside a mop bucket, you know, next yeah. to me and <laughs> in, enough of a prototype rig that once I'd learned how to control the engine on a test bench, I was able to do the seemingly mad step. And, and obviously I started it very low to begin with, but the seemingly mad step of having an engine actually attached to my arm. Yeah. Um, which was, was, was probably one of the most fundamental steps. And you could see all this on our gravity, uh, YouTube. If you look for gravity industries, there's, there's a lot of the original steps on there as well as all the things we've gone on to go and do. Um, but, but actually that step was pretty profound because there's at least half a dozen reasons why any sensible aeronautical engineer would look at this and think it'd never work. I mean, <laughs> a, a spinning, uh, shaft at 120,000 RPM, you'd think that'd have an amazing gyroscopic effect, you know, like spinning a bike wheel, holding yeah, a yeah, spindle. Yeah. Um, or you'd think that, um, you know, it would torque out of your arm or flail like a hosepipe or the heat or the fuel or, you know, the, the fuel would be impossible to carry enough and all of these reasons. But no, you know what, if you carefully analyze all the, you know, actual practical risks of what you're doing, understand yeah. how you could manage them, you know, and stop the exercise if something starts to not look right. Then I, and then carefully go and experiment. It's really funny what you go and learn that isn't in the textbook. It yeah. turns out that the spindle is, is yes, indeed, rotating very rapidly, but it accelerates up to its speed kind of slowly. And also the rotating mass it, um, out at a, a sort of perpendicular from the shaft is actually very, very low. So for all those reasons, you can't feel anything. Not a smidgen of a gyroscopic, a gyroscopic effect at all. Wow. But you'd never know that unless you really tried it. No. Um, so, so yeah, so that, that was, and that was about March, 2016 when I first, you know, did the first trial. Yeah. I remember seeing those, those uh, pictures on YouTube. I mean, you're, you're a pretty fit guy, Richard. I mean, you, you've got a six pack, I've got a beer belly, right? So, uh, or being big as they say, right? So I think to hold one of these things for me would be that, I mean, they throw a lot of thrust and I know that you kind of move around, you're kind of using the vector principle, aren't you? Like a, um, a Harrier jump jet type thing, isn't it? So you must have to be pretty strong to do that. Is that, I mean... You know, it, it's very flattering, and, and I have to say I didn't protest too much in the first year uh, back in 2017 of kind of when we revealed this. Um, it was all part of the original sort of narrative of launching it when it was really just me, and it's quite a big team of people now. Um, and we launched with Wired, and we launched launch with Red Bull, and certainly Red Bull were very much promoting the whole kind of human athlete thing. Yeah. But actually, we've trained 70-year-old men and women to fly this now in a day. Wow. I mean, we've trained 50 clients, um, a huge variety of people. 
Um, what people can do is an experiment to feel what this is like, and it's not going to be a glamorous process, so stand by. Um, <laughs> if you stand on your bathroom scales yeah. and you register your body weight, I'm afraid it's going to be you know, mid-COVID, so it may not be a good result. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. If you stand on... <laughs> anyway, it's all for science. Yeah, if yeah. you stand on your scales and then you lean forward with two relatively straight arms, either on a kitchen worktop or ideally on your bathroom sink if you think it's not going to come off the wall, and lean forward, relatively straight arms, until one third of your body weight is now registering on those bathroom scales. Okay. You'll be really surprised at how actually you're not having to lean very much. There's not much load going through your arms. I mean, you know, you, you can work it out. There's a third of your body weight going through each arm. But when yeah. it's roughly straight, it's not difficult. That's all we're doing. Yes, on paper, there's a thousand horsepower of jet engine thrust, you know, 144 kilos and all this kind of stuff. But the rear engine is lifting the weight of the equipment. The arm engines are lifting themselves. And then the remaining thrust is just like you being lifted by your kind of bait, you know, your, your, your um, trouser belt or a sort of rock climbing harness. Uh, okay. and, and the rest is coming up through your arms, just like you're leaning on that bathroom sink. So no, actually, again, it, it, it's just funny how you, the human brain immediately assumes it must be tearing your <laughs> arms out of their sockets. But, but no, the only way that would happen is if somebody bolted your feet to the floor and then cranked up the power high, you know, really high, higher yeah. than you, you would need necessarily to take off. Um, then, yes, that would be bad. But no, actually, it's surprisingly restful and benign. It's okay. uh, strange. So to control this thing, though, right? So, I mean, I mean, how fast does it go? How high? I mean, it's very noisy. I mean, I've been standing next to these things. But are, is it easy to control at speed? I guess you've got to obviously learn, uh, like anything, you know, learning to fly, learning to drive. I guess you need to get a feel for it. But, you know, how easy is it actually to, to fly on these things? I mean, I did see Colin fly... A, a hoverboard was it colin on that hoverboard at that point i can't remember was it one of your so, yeah colin first yeah colin, <laughs> colin first has been down with us a few times yeah. um in the past and uh just recently launched his um little film showing his process and yeah he's he's flying happily off the tether now wow um he he part of his film story was about his desire to fly the back to the future hoverboard and in yeah. the end on the tether he did fly it i think he could just about do it off the tether but it's a bit of a hard ask that when you've just first learned yes. to fly off the tether yeah. to also tie your feet to a board um, but um, uh, no, we shot something again. This is on our uh, YouTube channel at Gravity Industries. Um, one of my team, who's a big Back to the Future fan, uh, has shot a wonderful film with a, a pimped out DeLorean in the whole time machine wow. uh, yeah, you know, rig uh, with him flying along. So if you picture a jet suit, you know, two jet engines on each arm, one on the back and flying along. If you then stick a plastic, I'll spoil the, spoil the magic now, but a plastic, <laughs> <laughs> a plastic uh, imitation hoverboard, which is commonly available uh, through eBay, uh, then it suddenly it fools your brain because you look at it and I don't know about you but when you look at it your brain is just focused and fixated on the hoverboard thinking oh my god it's working well there are a few jet engines involved on the human but uh, anyway yeah we had we had great fun of filming that you know uh, yeah, not that long ago I can imagine and, and the other thing that's really cool sort of talking about movies and TV so I know that you uh, you made friends with Adam Savage of Mistbusters and he built actually a real Iron Man suit to go around your your jet suit didn't he yeah, so I met Adam at uh, TED 2017, you know, the big TED event in Vancouver. And um, this was really the first proper event I'd ever done, Yeah, which is, you know, nothing like jumping in at the deep end. But uh, <laughs> um, the, I had done a small private demo um, the week before in San Francisco for the Drapers uh, for a VC event that I did really as a sort of warm up act before I went to go and potentially crash and burn, hopefully not, but uh, in front of a live audience at TED. 
Um, but um, I, I did that event in San Francisco and uh, that was ridiculous. Like, that's where I did the VC deal for $650,000 just in that car park, yeah, cool. uh, which is another whole story. Anyway, um, I was, uh, you know, obviously pretty nervous. Of, well, I mean, doing the TED Talk was one thing, but then flying it live, you know, it was quite a, <laughs> quite a high pressure event. Yeah. I had about three days of the TED event before I had, I, you know, before I was on. And I, I walk around this amazing event and it's, it's this kind of ludicrous place where you just bump into Al Gore and, oh, look, there's Richard Branson. And, you, know, <laughs> you, you, go, you go to the coffee bar and you chat to what looks like a normal guy. And um, it, was something like, uh, it was something like this. I was chatting to him, oh, so what do you do? And he went, oh, you know, I, I, I suppose, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm known for inventing Siri or something like that. You know, it's just yeah. like everybody you met there was just like, oh, my God. You know, and halfway through the, uh, halfway through the event, I walked into my setup room and, and uh, one of the Boston Dynamics dogs was walking around in my oh, setup wow. room. And, yeah. and, and it was just like, oh, OK, I didn't realize you guys were here. And it's like, so I've got this wonderful clip, which I put out on Instagram, yeah. uh, which I can plug at uh, Gravity <laughs> Industries or, um, oh, sorry, no, 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 no. I tell a lie. Take on Gravity is my Instagram. Take or on Richard Gravity. M. Brown. Yeah, take okay. on Gravity and Richard M. Browning are our two. And on one of those, I can't remember which, there's a shot of uh, Adam Savage being run over by Spot the Dog or whatever the dog's Boston Dynamics dog. <laughs> oh, thing I saw he, that. I remember that. He now. lied yeah, on the yeah. floor, yeah, yeah, and said, I bet no one's been run over by one of these. Yeah. And so we got it to walk over him, which was funny. But anyway, I, I just tapped this um, ginger-haired, yellow bomber jacket-wearing guy with a small circle of people around him <laughs> on the shoulder and went, oh, my God, you're Adam Savage. I love what you do. Uh, I'm here with a jet suit and he'd seen it online already. And so wow. came off and immediately broke off from the conversation and rushed over and he became my ground crew. So if you look at the, uh, any of the film clips of that very low, very shaky early demo, there, there he is being my ground crew. So, <laughs> uh, that, so ever since then I got, I got to know him and yeah, he did this wonderful uh, TV show or TV series called um, Savage Builds. I think it is Oh, yeah. a bit like Mythbusters. Yeah. And um, he got built uh, for many hundreds of thousands of dollars of volunteered, 3d printing time from eos and uh, i think the colorado school of mines um he built the original iron man suit to the original cad files that the film uh used for the film um he had to twist the arm of the original director of iron man one to release them and uh and yeah he um built this suit and i flew it um it was pretty remarkable i mean wow. you, it was the proper kind of titanium printed bulletproof yeah it yeah was nuts. It, oh. i couldn't see a thing out of the eyes though um they'd put these little glowing panels in there so i could just <laughs> barely see anything at all but yeah i did fly it so uh, that's amazing now you've got amazing... two boys right so your boys must have absolutely loved that to see you flying that thing yeah although it's funny they, they've, they've been around this so much they just kind of think it's normal to the, right. the, you know dads just fly <laughs> jet suits for a living um so they're they they're kind of you know they're, it's they're pretty cool about it uh, i think they only live some of the excitement of it when they have friends over or when they see you know other friends uh normal sort of school kids who then then have a, a more predictable reaction to what it is that we do um but yeah they're pretty cool around it most of the time oh, that's amazing and the other thing you've done i mean not only are you flying a, a, you know an iron man type suit but you're also you've also got a world record as well haven't you or two or two world records you, you recently set didn't you yeah, the, the wonderful folks, the Guinness World Records reached out to us quite early on in our journey and said, do you want to try and set a record? And we set a speed record of a mere 32 miles an hour. But that was the first time we'd even flown over water. So it was it was a, it was an interesting yeah. day. And it culminated with me falling in as well, because I we were we were experimenting stuff constantly back in those days. And yeah. uh, we experimented with something to turn out not to work. So I yeah, went for a swim. But um, uh, yeah, I uh, I had a wonderful you know experience with the team and I had to Three, three other pilots flying with me as well uh, that day down in Brighton at the sort of back end of 2019. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I set 85 miles an hour, about 135 wow. kilometers an hour. Um, That's that incredible. was flying with the, one of the experimental leg wings uh, deployed uh, between my legs and lifting my body up to be pretty much horizontal. And uh, 
I mean, we're only scraping the surface and the whole wing evolution thing is, is another yeah. thing on the list that's going to really um, accelerate from here, I think. I mean, we, you know, so we're, we're only scratching, scratching the surface, really. So what happens when you fall in the water? Does the all the electronics get fried or is that all sealed up now? Or what, what happens to that? Um, yeah, the electronics are increasingly getting sealed. They're, they're, they mostly survive now and they should be totally survived fairly soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean that, that you know that's 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 been a challenge in the past. The um, the engines need a, a sort of internals refurbishment. If you imagine you put a, a, a spinning uh, jet engine shaft at you know 100 or 1,000 RPM that's about 700 degrees centigrade and put it in cold water and it stops almost instantly. It's not a happy little piece of machinery. Uh, but if you swap that out and swap out and check the some of the electronics, um, then uh, then it's fine. Yeah, then you know. It, it, I think we worked out if you throw a whole jet suit in the water, you don't get much change out of ten thousand US dollars to get it back flying again. But given we sold the last one for four hundred and forty, it's not too bad. Wow, <laughs> that's very good. You know, you know, and I think you ding the front wing on a Formula One car, and I think you're looking at way, you know, many more times than that. Oh yeah, cost. yeah. And you know, and, and sort of talking about Formula One, I know that your kind of next thing that you're looking at is you're, you're going to build a race series. Is that right? Um, yes, that is, that is, I mean, I, I said, that's the plan that should have yeah. already, I mean, that, that, that's a live plan. We were supposed yeah. to launch the, um, we were supposed to launch the inaugural race in, um, uh, it was the back end of March in Bermuda. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this comes, um, but obviously it's on pause. I mean, there's a shipping container sitting out there with a load of race obstacles <laughs> waiting for us to be able to get out there. But, um, I mean, we, we got within like two, three weeks of going, you know, going and actually departing, but, um, yeah, for obvious yeah. reasons it's on pause. Um, this came about as a culmination of doing a hundred and I mean, I think we topped out at 103 events in 30 countries over the wow. last three years. That's a lot of emails. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, it was a lot of traveling around and, uh, but it's been a, been amazing really, cause it's earned us, you know, really good money. That's all gone back into the R and D it's taught us a lot about flying in some ridiculously diverse climates and locations. Uh, you know, all the equipment packs into two check-in suitcases, so you can literally fly it anywhere in the world, usually. Wow. Uh, you and, can just put and, that on in the luggage hold, right? Just those jet Yeah, suits. check-in wow. suitcase. Okay. Yeah. Um, sometimes the American TSA folks cause a problem, but most of the time not. There isn't a rule to say you can't do this. Uh, you know, take all the fuel out, obviously, and the batteries are in your hand luggage. But other than that, um, yeah, you can literally show up anywhere with them. Um, so yeah, me and the team have, have, have certainly gone and seemingly enthralled live audiences all over the place. Yeah. Um, and, and the, the, the culmination of that was that, you know, why don't we scale this up? It, you know, and when you really think about Formula One or IndyCar or NASCAR or the Red Bull Air races, they are all, you know, I hope, you know, hopefully live action sports that are inspiring and entertaining people. And, yeah. and there's a whole well-trodden sort of advertising commercial kind of structure around them, which fuels them. Um, so, so why not go and take a leaf out of that book, you know, and we can put on what generally seems to be received as a, as a pretty mind blowing inspirational spectacle for a lot less cost than any of those sports. So, you know, why not go and run with it? And so that's the plan for Bermuda. But as I say, it might have to be a little bit on pause for a while. Yeah. Uh, and then off the back of that, that was driving a large number of people to come and ask to come and do flight training. And even a few people asked, you know, to have their own suits built as well. Yeah. And so our, our aspiration is here to have you know, an increasing number of our clients uh, racing with us. And Bermuda, we had two clients that were going to race, you know, in their own colors and their own branded up suits and stuff. Wow. So uh, it'll still happen. It just, um, it might be superseded by small scale race events in the UK first, because then yeah. it'd be easier to pull off. Yeah. But um, yeah, that, that, so that and client training are our main focus uh, areas, but we've done car launches in China and open stadiums in Japan and all manner of things. And of course, also done quite a bit of search and rescue and military uh, work as well.
Yeah, I saw, there's a great video with you out, um, I, well, with that British warship um, that, that you're flying alongside with your beret on. I absolutely love that. That is just incredible. Where, where was that? Where did you do that? Um, yeah, I, I, that was that was that was a pretty ludicrous event. I mean, we've done a dozen different military exercises now, often really quite high profile public ones. Um, like the Overton Air Show with three pilots flying with a whole load yeah. of helicopters in the background with a big grand finale assault going on. Um, but yeah, the um, the British Embassy in Washington set up a, um, a kind of, I suppose, a sort of big reveal of the Queen Elizabeth aircraft carrier off the coast of Washington and, um, yeah. and then joyously phoned us up and said, did I want to be part of it? And um, so, uh, yeah, I ended up flying out. I think I did, a, I don't know, five or six flights in the end, but I'd fly out and greet these shuttle vessels that were bringing people from the shore because the flipping vessels so enormous it can't get anywhere near the shore um, which is just amazing um it couldn't dock anywhere so it's moored off the coast a couple of miles off the coast and they were bringing out on these shuttle vessels all these pentagon and dod and mod officials um and um and my job uh entirely backed by the embassy and they were goading me on to do this was to fly out unannounced none of them had any warning and i'd zip off from the aircraft carrier low over the water and then suddenly appear straight in front of these you know, generals and admirals and <laughs> air vice marshals, um, and then do a little, little, you know, uh, circle around their boat, little wink, and and I was wearing my Royal Marines beret, yeah, as well, and then I'd zip back off again and land, and then greet them as they disembarked, and uh, <laughs> I cannot think of a better way of showcasing the capability we have, and the result of that has been, you know, DSTL, DARPA, you know, all sorts of different interactions and uh, very meaningful, very sincere explorations which i can't really go into but um yeah you know if yeah. nothing else i you know i don't want to big up the sinisterness of this it, you know if you want to move personnel around a bit like a helicopter can but in yeah. a way that doesn't require a helicopter or the, the vulnerability of everybody packed into one single helicopter um it turns out we can offer something and you know to get people in or out of places it's um you know it's, it's a really serious capability and and you know what if nothing else i mean who wouldn't smile at looking back and <laughs> you can see again all this on youtube and, oh i'd oh, thoroughly yeah. recommend um, looking at the 360 clips, um, okay. you, you do, even just with a normal mobile phone, if you go to the YouTube and, and um, search for the 360 clips, you can steer your mobile phone around and look in any direction around as I fly around one of those aircraft carriers, for instance. But I mean, who wouldn't just smile at looking back and thinking, <laughs> oh, my God, did I really do that? I mean, you know, this, these are grown up pieces of equipment, you know, three billion dollar aircraft carrier just stuffed full of hundred million dollar uh f-35s and the only thing everybody was talking about was the guy in the beret who flew a the jet suit right up to the uh, shuttle boat so <laughs> yeah i've had some pretty yeah. bizarre and amazing experiences on this journey wow fantastic look richard thank you so much for chatting today um once this lockdown's all over i'll pop down and have a beer and we'll uh, we'll chat some more and i'll check out one of your uh, your new suits and see where you've got your flight school set up haven't you down at the farmyard there it looks like in the in the video so uh, but yeah yeah in fact we should be uh we've got one in california as well but okay we can't get to that but um we should be broadening out to a much more appropriate location hopefully at goodwood um ah, to okay. start doing this training because to be honest the farm location i mean that's where we originally developed the yeah. system and uh it's, I may I say it's not very becoming for the kind of experience that we give people when yeah. you're surrounded by sort of farm <laughs> bales and cows. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, it's great for <laughs> testing our own gear quickly because it's five minutes down the road, but it's not really, yeah, it's not really ideal. No, great. So look, thank you so much again, Richard. Uh, take care and uh, hopefully see you soon. My pleasure. Yes, indeed. So now we've come to In Pursuit of Dispute. This is the section where we agree to disagree about any given subject. In keeping with the Marvel theme, 
which of the Avengers do you think would win in a WWE style Royal Rumble? Robbie, what's a Royal Rumble? <laughs> <laughs> you showing your age there, Pete? I'm like, have you, what are you talking don't about? Don't tell me you have never watched wrestling. Well, I, I used to watch Big Daddy and John Haystacks, <laughs> but that's not. <laughs> but Matt will have no idea what I'm talking about. That's just 19, 1970s wrestling at its best. Yeah. So, Royal Rumble is where they'll come in one at a time. There's 30 of them, and they'll come in one every 30 seconds, and the last one left in the ring is the winner. So, to eliminate somebody they just have to throw them over the top rope okay so it's a bit like a a, a call of duty free-for-all last man standing exactly. yeah right got you that's so the we'll... best description of a royal rumble i've ever heard that's impressive <laughs> <laughs> so i think we'll give pete some time to think about it now that he's discovered what a royal rumble is for the first time so dave what do you think oh you put me on the spot here because i i've got i don't know it's it's so hard to tell because let's face it in the movies there's a, a fair number of times where they've actually had at yeah. each other uh, and, and you th- yeah. I go back to Captain America um, pretty unstoppable and he's just got that steely determination about him you just think maybe he's going to get it we talked about Captain Marvel earlier on she's pretty high up the list there I'm, uh, it'd be, it's going to be hard to imagine uh, her losing a fight yeah <sighs> I think I'm going to have to go with Captain America um, just because of, it's that that iron will, that steely determination. He's just going to he's going to get the job done. And you're done. confident he could throw all of the other Avengers, including Hulk, over the top rope. Because let's remember, that's the thing they've got to do, is throw them over the top rope. It's not about steely determination. If it was the Try Hard Award, then yeah, that's maybe give it to Captain America. Hulk weighs well, like... you've got that specific. That's, that's completely destroyed my answer. Because for me, I, I would think my, my backing would go to Thor. And the reason it would go to Thor is that if he just stood in the middle of the ring and held onto his hammer, no one's lifting him to take him over that rope because nobody else can lift that hammer. And the other reason I went for Thor is because obviously it meant that I could pick the music he could come down to the ring to and it would have to be Can't Touch This by MC Hammer because that fits nicely. <laughs> oh, That's another awesome oh, 90s dear. reference. <laughs> I've thought far yeah. too much about it's your this. your fight song. <clears throat> I, see, I have to go with Hulk because I, I think Hulk's the strongest, right? He, he's like seven feet tall. He weighs 800 pounds. He's a green rage machine. Um, the only way that he doesn't win is that if he's like consistent number one, and everybody throws him. Everybody teams up against him and throws him out at the first place. That's the only way that he doesn't win. Or if he's not angry. Opinion. Because if he's not well, angry, I'm assuming, he's going to be quite easy to get out. Well, I'm assuming that it, you're in a battle royale that the Hulk's going to get angry because he's getting beat and people are punching him. And but what happens David, you know, when Natasha comes in and just talks to him and the sun's going down? Maybe before he met Natasha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By, by which point, somebody's thrown her out of the ring. <laughs> yeah, they just have to make sure they're coming in in the right order. Right, Pete, you've had a chance uh, to think. Well, you know, <laughs> I think you guys have chosen all the best ones, right? So why don't I go for a bit of left field? Let's say, I mean, Baby Groot, right? Baby Groot, he could run around, they'd trip over him and they'd fall out of the ring, right? So we'll go with that, right? <laughs> he'd run around, they're like, well, trip over, they're out of the ring, uh, and there you go. And he's so small, he wouldn't, they wouldn't be in quick, they wouldn't be able to pick him up. So and throw him out. So yeah, I'll do that. Disorientate everybody. They run around, trip over him, and I suppose the out. same could apply to Ant Man. Ant Man could just get small enough that nobody could find where he was to throw him out. Yeah. So just kind of by default Absolutely. at the end. But what just... happens if somebody steps on both of them? 
Well, as long as they haven't gone over the top rope, they're technically still in. <laughs> they'd be dead. Yeah. <laughs> but they'd be dead but successful. <laughs> That's all that counts. But if you perish, you, you don't survive the event, right? Doesn't mm. that disqualify you? I don't know. I don't I've know. never actually seen anybody, well, uh, not since Bret Hart many years ago. There's not been a death in the WWE during an event. So who knows? That's true. Who knows? I mean, I, We're getting I think, too meta. Yeah. The, the, other, <laughs> the other person that I think could potentially win this would be Vision in his peak because yeah. let's face it he's just gonna phase everybody yeah well yeah exactly it's superhuman superhuman stamina reflexes speed agility strength he just it'd just Smart. be too easy exactly he'd, he'd be able to see what that what hulk was doing before he got to him and just let him throw himself over the ropes in a rage oh. I, sh I should have got my marvel top trumps out robbie because that would have given me the answer wouldn't it that would have been is that one of the options the on cupboard, the top right? trumps cards royal rumble winner <laughs> I'm impressed. I don't know. Disney have thought of everything. I've looked at him. Absolutely. <laughs> um, maybe this is the new the new category that we should get them to add in the next round of top trumps. This is esports. I would like to see now that we can't watch real sports. <laughs> Avengers Battle Royal. Yeah, I think that could work. <laughs> I'm surprised someone didn't go with Drax because he's you know he's big, he's strong, he's that angry. Point. Well, to, if it wasn't just the Avengers as well, I think... Uh, yeah, you're right. Sorry. I'm thinking entire MCU. You're right. Yeah, but if it was entire MCU, then Thanos, that'd be it. Oh, yeah. 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 You're right. I forgot the, the <laughs> confines of the, the better argument. I messed it up. <laughs> Get your cake, Matt. Off you go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that, it's just so not realistic if you start to open it up to the whole MCU. <laughs> That would just never happen. How would you have them all in the same place at the same time? <laughs> We've got to think about these things. It's time for the final section of the show as we each put forward our nominations for Geek of the Week. Each of us nominates one person who deserves the title and then we all agree on the winner. As our guest Matt, yet again, will allow you to go first. Thank you for that privilege. Uh, I'm going to nominate Eric Yuan. He is the uh, CEO and founder of Zoom uh, Technologies. Uh, I don't know of anyone that I've talked to within the last two or three months that hasn't been affected by Zoom in one way or the other. Uh, if, if everyone's like me, I'm using it professionally, personally, and in various other facets of my life. And I feel like every time I have a Zoom conference call, I'm giving Eric and his team money. So <laughs> I'm going to nominate him for creating a tool for the right time and right place uh, for the global coronavirus pandemic. Cool. Very good nomination. Cool. That's, tough. That's tough to disagree with, actually, isn't it? Yeah. It's everywhere at the moment. Zoom is everywhere. My nomination is actually goes back to the, the Avengers universe, but it's not why I'm nominating it. It's Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon has been really important in the whole development of the MCU um, but I'm actually nominating him because he created Serenity and Firefly um, oh yeah <laughs> my absolute all-time favorite TV program ever is Firefly it's it's right up my street it's science fiction it's geeky it's got humor it's got um, deeper understanding and I think I've, I've actually because we were going to be talking about Marvel today um, I've gone back and I've, I've looked at some of the interviews with Joss Whedon and, and hearing him talk about what he does. And you just think, without his level of geekiness, so many of these wonderful things that we've come to love, Buffy, Angel, Firefly, MCU, and all the other stuff that he's got involved in, 
it's hard to imagine all of this wonderfulness without his brain behind it. Good pick. So there's this guy, I don't know if you've heard of him, he's got a YouTube channel and it's called Look Mum No Computer. And he's basically uh, an electronic musician, if you like. He builds and hacks together these really cool things. So actually this week he's built a NES glove. Um, you remember the NES gaming gloves? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Back in the day, they were like a big thing. So he's he's built one of those so he could do like synthesizing music with it. So he moves the fingers and it plays tunes. And he's done a really cool hack where we got a whole bunch of Furbies. You remember the Furby toys yeah. back in the sort of 90s? And he's got them all lined up and they're basically all singing and doing these sort of synth noises. It's absolutely hilarious. And he's see, he actually tours around the country. So it's a British guy. He's, uh, he's very, very funny, very creative. Uh, and a talented uh, engineer, and he's done some really cool hacks. So if you've not seen him, uh, go and check out on YouTube, Look Mum, No Computer, and uh, just look at some of the cool, crazy things that he's done. And I say it's all revolved around music and synthesizers, and he's built some cool things using Arduinos and Raspberry Pis and, and all kinds of stuff you can find in your jaw. And say most recently, last week, he did this robotic hand using a, a NES glove to play um a synthesizer set is very very cool so yeah go go check him out look mum no computer he's i'm brilliant. sure we've seen him at the maker fair in i can't remember if it, oh, it was possibly, either rome yeah. or in newcastle because i i remember probably the furby rome, story and i i remember yes. watching them yeah yeah it was really really cool and some really weird and wacky stuff and there was a, a girl at the maker fair as well who had a glove who was doing the same sort of synth noises while she was singing so she was her own band but while she was was also singing, I think he was at the Maker Fair here in the U.S. I vaguely remember. Oh. As soon as you said Maker Fair, it 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 spawned a memory cell, and I remember seeing him. Very interesting. There we go. We might have all met him. We'd obviously had too many beers at, at that point. Probably, I can't remember. <laughs> Not yeah. me. No way. <laughs> no. So uh, my nomination is someone called James Bruton, and he's a he's a cosplayer, um, but. His day job is a he's a robotics engineer, um, and he again I, I, every week I seem to come back to Colin Furs because he is my favourite YouTuber. But I remember this is the first time I'd seen James was when him and Colin worked on a project for Infinity War. So just before Invin Infinity War came out, they built a full life-size Hulkbuster suit, and it was absolutely awesome. So I thought this was the perfect opportunity to, to put him forward. But he creates so many different um, cosplay robots. I think he's got about four or five different variations of the Iron Man suit that I would just kill for. So, yeah, he's he's my nomination. Very cool. I've just found him online. Yeah, he's got loads yeah, of stuff there. You could, you could go down a rabbit hole and spend hours watching YouTube videos that he's, he's created. There's so much cool stuff on there. Yeah, I'm really envious of people with that kind of creativity it's um makes me feel inadequate <laughs> and so our winner for this week who do we want to crown geek of the week i'm gonna vote for james bruton i think this is incredible some of the stuff he's making here is just absolutely amazing i'm gonna have to second that because uh one our marble theme he ties into it with uh, all the work with uh yeah. the cosplay as well as the the hulkbuster suit uh, that's some some pretty cool stuff and ties in with a, a lot of the things we mentioned throughout this podcast yeah, sounds good. I'll go and check him out. I'll just have a look now on the YouTube. He looks brilliant. So uh, it's funny. I was watching a, a thing the other day. It came up on my Facebook feed, and there was these guys. I think it was over in the US, and they created a Thor hammer with an electromagnet in it, and they were putting it onto the ground and challenging people to lift it up. And obviously, what they couldn't see was that it was obviously going onto the metal. They had a <laughs> magnet in it, and they were releasing it for the friends that they knew. And the people who come up <laughs> randomly just couldn't pull the bloody thing off brilliant. the ground. It was hilarious. 
So, uh, yeah, it was very, very good. So uh, that, that's a pretty cool right. one. Well, I was actually going to vote for Eric because I think likewise when you've said about Zoom, the, the amount of times we've been on Zoom over the past couple of months has been unbelievable and especially the, the whole keeping in touch with family. Um, you know, actually... Mm trying to talk grandparents through how to download zoom is a completely different challenge altogether um so oh, maybe yeah, maybe he would challenge. have won if he'd have managed to make a grandparent friendly version but yeah i mean it's 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 helped everybody to stay in touch in a time when it has been quite difficult so um oh, I, I think definitely you know. a, a, a nod to eric but the winner this week is james and that brings us to the end of yet another episode. Thank you once again for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please do three nice things for us. Firstly, subscribe on your favourite podcast platform, leave us a review and share it with a friend. For more episodes and bonus content, please head to designspot.com forward slash podcast and we'll see you all again next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thank you. See you soon. Bye. Cheers, guys. Thanks for the uh, opportunity to chat with uh, three British geeks. Very awesome. <laughs>